Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. Although we've seen huge progress in the area of inclusion in recent years, many companies and teams still struggle to fully embed and embrace this concept and are keen to learn more about what true inclusion really means. So joining us today to talk about this topic, we're delighted to be joined by Torn and Dell, Head of Talent, Learning and Inclusion at Deloitte. Thanks for joining us, Torn. How are you? Great, thanks, Owen. Lovely to be here. Brilliant. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Insight HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great, thanks, Owen. And lovely to have you here, Torn. Thank you. Brilliant. So let's jump right in. So I suppose, Torn, I'll come to yourself first. Um, can you kick us off? I suppose, what are some of the key drivers of Deloitte's success when it comes to embedding pride includes the workplace culture, things like that. I think, um, Owen, for us, I suppose it all starts with our purpose. So we have a very clear purpose in terms of making an impact that matters for our clients, for our people and for society. And underpinning that is a set of values. And one of those values is fostering inclusion. So for us to be able to make that impact, it's really important that we feel that we're attracting the right people, that we're retaining them and that that's a really diverse group of people. So we have a set of principles that underpin our inclusion strategy and that guides everything we do. So we can, for example, it's about providing equal opportunities. It's creating opportunities for everybody to develop and grow their careers. So with these principles, we can step back and sort of evaluate, well, are there any barriers in the way in terms of providing those equal opportunities Is there anything that's stopping everybody having that opportunity to develop and grow their careers? So then you go back and say, well, for example, are there policies that are getting in the way? Are there processes that are getting in the way? And we want to, one of the principles is around driving and evolving our culture. So how are we celebrating diversity? How are we supporting people to sort of feel that they can really be their true selves in the organization? Um, So it's, it's having those sort of guide rails, I suppose, is really important in terms of driving our success. But then the other key thing for me is that we've got a very programmatic approach and that's really sponsored and led from the top um, in conjunction with our employee networks. So the importance of having that programmatic approach means that our CEO is constantly holding us to account. So we're asked by the exec how are we doing? How are we progressing? We have targets, we have measures, we report into the exec in terms of progress on specific initiatives around inclusion. But then we also have a strong employee network base that are really passionate about driving it forwards, that share concerns with us, that that want to take things forward. So it's the combination of having it systematically being driven from the top with the passion that comes from the grassroots level. Absolutely. And just kind of building on that grassroots piece, I suppose, Torn, how important has it been to have that ERG, the employee network committee to kind of drive 
this agenda, especially with things like Pride, it's always it always really helps, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's really critical for us. So we're lucky, I suppose, we're a big enough organization with two and a half thousand people and growing um, that we have we can um, have a number of different employee networks. Um, so we have uh, LGBT plus and allies network with gender balance network. Um, we have a newly established mental health network and parents and caregivers one. And then we also have a multicultural network. So they're really important because they're a sort of a channel through to all our employees. So they're seen as, as trusted and people might be more willing to share concerns with them, go to them for support. But then we have the lead of each of those networks sits on our inclusion council. So they're very involved and they're a sounding board for us as well. So, for example, um, when we launched our um, transgender employment policy, we went to the LGBT network and and asked them to review it, to give us input around it and the training that we were planning to roll out when we launched our first gender pay gap report earlier um, this year, we also then went to the Gender Balance Network and they reviewed it and gave us a lot of input around how we were structuring that, how we might communicate it out. And they were involved then in developing a podcast with our CEO in terms of explaining to the organization the difference between equal pay and the gender pay gap. And, and so I think it's really important to have those networks for that reason that sort of, yeah, it just gives people a voice and and it gives us a much better understanding what are the issues and concerns people have within the organization. Definitely. And Torn mentioned um Mary, the kind of gender pay gap side of things, the transgender inclusion. I suppose when we talk about things like equality inclusion, that kind of thing, it's not just the right thing to do. There's also kind of a legal basis to this as well, isn't there? And just kind of more and more legislation appearing on across a lot of realms of it. Yeah, so we have the Employment Equality Acts that, uh, you know, are there to protect um, specific groups of people. And we've talked about them plenty of times on this podcast already. Um, The legislation is there. And if an employee uh, feels that they're being treated unfairly, in the workplace, they have the option of taking a claim to the WRC and having that heard and, you know, potentially getting an award. But I always say once you get to that point, you've lost. Um, you've lost because not just because of the time and effort and energy that's put into defending claims, but because somebody within the organization feels in that way about how they've been treated by the organization. So the kind of programs that Torren is talking about are just so important in terms of the practical reality, the daily experience, the culture of the organization. The legislation is there to protect. It it guides and it informs our policies and our procedures, um, but that's not enough on its own. We've also had uh, this year an International Women's Day. Um, They they launched a code of practice on sexual harassment in the workplace. Uh, They also launched a code of practice on equal pay. Um, And so you'll see between that and gender pay gap reporting, you know, there's a real focus on, um, you know, women and equality within the workplace. 
But there's lots more that needs to be done. And organisations like Deloitte that are, you know, leading the pathway here and doing things incredibly well, because as you can see, they're not just leading, they're listening. Um, And that's key to, you know, the culture of inclusion uh, and to ensuring that uh, a strategy works. Uh, So often I hear organisations talking about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, you know, in in grand terms, but the reality on the ground, the day to day experience for the employees uh, might be very different to that that is espoused by the organisation. So it's just so important that it's it's really clearly thought out and well done. Uh, But there is legislation there to protect people. But if you get there, you've already lost. Um, You already have the potential to damage the employer brand. Uh, And I see that as probably the most significant impact when it comes to our legislation and and what that might mean in reality for an organisation. You know, one case that hits the media uh, of somebody who's um, being excluded or treated badly or bullied by virtue of, um, you know, being part of a marginalised group uh, is going to have a profound impact on whether or not people want to join your organisation. Absolutely. And I think also the other thing about the employee networks is it's really important to make sure that they are supported um, because this is often on top of people's normal jobs. So it's like, have you given them a budget? Have you given them recognition and sponsorship from higher up in the organization? Are you using it also to see, you know, give um, diverse talent an opportunity to lead? So leading a network gives people exposure, profile, and that's a great way of also spotting talent within the organization. Um, So I think, you know, there's so many benefits to having those employee networks. And I'm conscious smaller organizations may not feel that they they're big enough to have lots of different networks, but they could have one diversity and inclusion network where a group of people can work together and look at what's important to this organization. You go out and start by asking people what's important to them. And that's what we would have done a number of years ago. And it helped us really pinpoint, okay, here's a couple of really key focus areas. So let's start there. And then every time you do something related to inclusion, you keep building on, you learn more and more, and you can keep expanding your program from there. Definitely. And I think something that will, I suppose, perk the ears of a lot of our listeners, maybe the smaller companies, the smaller HR teams, is that kind of policies and procedures piece. Um, and I know, Torn, obviously, the things like the employee networks, hugely important, running events, hugely important. But were there certain policies, procedures that were implemented that kind of gave a basis to this whole journey of pride, inclusion, various things like that? Yeah, so I think oh, we, we're constantly looking at our policies. So if I think of in the five years that I've been in Deloitte in terms of looking back over some of the changes we've made to policies. So we would have started by reviewing a lot of policies in terms of from an LGBT perspective, were we talking about mothers and fathers in all of our policies? And we've changed that to be much more neutral. It's around parents or caregivers. Um, And so and changing our policies to ensure that they're not 
sort of written as if you're, you know, a heterosexual couple in mind when we're thinking of families. Um, so we've done a lot of work on that. Then I mentioned the transgender employment policy. So that was a, a brand new policy we brought in about three or four years ago. Um, so we would have looked at, well, how could we support somebody who maybe wanted to transition, who might want to change their name on the system? What supports would we put in place? How would that work for people? So that was really important then to bring the network in and make sure we were getting the language right. Um, and then even a, a, a much more sort of simple policy is the dress code policy, which we changed a number of years ago. We used to have, you know, dress, men should wear this and women should wear that. And now it's more that, you know, this is formal attire, could be suits, dresses, whereas casual attire could be, you know, skirts, chinos, whatever. But it doesn't, it's not specifying that only men can wear one thing and only women can wear something else. Um, so that was another one. And then recently, having looked at, well, what are some of the life events that people are struggling with from an inclusion perspective? We brought in policies around fertility treatment, around miscarriage, um, around surrogacy, and again, making sure that it doesn't matter, you know, what your background is, how long you've been in the firm. We've taken away a lot of the restrictions that we used to have in the past around tenure for these policies to really make sure they're as inclusive as possible and they're there to support people at specific times in their life. Um, and then I think the other, in terms of sort of less policy related and more process, so now that we're transitioning back into, you know, being able to come into our offices again and new ways of working. So we launched last September Deloitte Works, which is our approach to um, the future of work and how we work together. So it's very much based on principles of trust and flexibility. So giving people the flexibility to really decide themselves where and they're going to do their best work and when so they can flex their day, whether they're, you know, doing stuff with children, whether they're volunteering, whether they're maybe studying outside of work. So it gives people a lot more flexibility and intentionality in terms of absolutely come into the office, make sure you're connecting with people, but do that in a way that suits you have that conversation with your team. And then the other support we brought in alongside that is an inclusion passport. So we have designed this tool where everybody can have a conversation with their line manager about what would really help them thrive both personally and professionally. And are there any supports or accommodations that would help them to do that? So initially, when we were thinking about it, we were thinking about people with disabilities and reasonable accommodations. But actually, our CEO challenged us to think more broadly and how could this be something for everybody um, because as you know you know there can still be stigma around things that are only for one cohort of people so we thought well actually somebody who might need an accommodation or support with a disability would be much more likely to ask for it and use it if this was just something everybody has um, so now it's been designed in a way that Maybe if you're observing Ramadan and you need flexibility around that specific period of the year, you might have an inclusion passport which documents the supports you need and you can then share it with anybody else who may need to be aware of it. 
or it could be that you have a medical condition that you want people to be aware of and and what like diabetes, for example, and that you maybe need to have regular meal times or breaks around that. And you can share it without having to have a new conversation with absolutely everybody every time you're changing team or your line manager changes. So this, we feel, is really innovative and transformative in terms of the conversations people can have and hopefully the supports that people feel they can talk to their line manager about and agree and it's all embedded in our HR system now. Fantastic and I think that kind of innovative flexible kind of return to work has been something that's really interesting. I know Mary we've I think we spoke on this podcast previously there was a lot of commentary around I think the pandemic eroding a lot of progress around diversity inclusion that kind of stuff. But I think as HR teams kind of look to the future of work and I suppose listen to our and their of opportunities for change, for new things to bring in. I think inclusion, diversity, things like that, there's an opportunity there right now, but it's kind of an essential thing that, that HR teams need to look at, isn't it? Intentionality is so important um, because you can't achieve what Deloitte have achieved unless you're intentional about it. Um, And, you know, while it may be true in some organisations that um, diversity and inclusion um, or the agenda for diversity and inclusion has receded somewhat, through remote and virtual working, that's really back down to the organization to be purposeful and intentional about how they're communicating with people. And there is research out there to say that, you know, people from minority groupings, whatever those minority groupings might be within organizations, are opting more for fully remote um, work practices in many organizations because life is easier for them to operate remotely but you have to still think about how are you communicating with people what kind of conversations are people able to have virtually and remotely how can you tackle that as an organization and ensure that you're not excluding people or that your employees are visible um, and that the equal opportunities are still there for those people who may, for whatever reason, choose, um, if they have the option of choosing, to be fully remote uh, rather than in office. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate around being seen in an office. Uh, and obviously, if we, in the future of work, Uh, if there's more flexibility for employees and more choice about the where, the when, the how they do their work. Um, The idea that having to attend the office and be seen by somebody to progress in your career you know, can damage the opportunity for, you know, multiple groups of people for whatever reason. And that, you know, unconscious bias about, well, you know, more women choose this than men because of childcare issues or uh, people who are disabled don't want to attend the office or, you know, for one reason or another, you can you can come up with all sorts of reasons why people don't want to do things, but it's up to the organization to create pathways um, that ensure that people are seen, that they're visible, that their uh, presence or otherwise in an office doesn't uh, impact their future career with the organization um, just as much as by virtue of being um, different 
doesn't affect your ability to progress within an organization. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And, you know, being purposeful is and intentional is just so important. Whatever the size of the organization, whatever the size of the budget, whether or not you have a dedicated resource who manages all this or not. Yeah, I think it's really important and it's sort of stepping back and considering, well, actually, you know, why are we having this learning program or why are we running this sort of team event or this meeting and would the impact of it be better? Will it be more effective if we meet in person or if it's remote? And I think the pandemic has been really efficient. We've all been extremely efficient, but now sometimes we might have to sacrifice a bit of the efficiency to be more effective because we're certainly bringing some of our, like our onboarding programs and induction back in person, because actually it's more effective. People really want to have that connection at the start to meet other people in the organization, to get a sense for the culture by being in the office and meeting um, some of our leaders who will come in to, to welcome them, to meet other people who will be in the same boat. So we trade off the efficiency of doing it all remotely for actually a better impact by meeting in person. And that's the same with some of the team events. So it is really comes back to that intentionality is so important. Definitely. And I suppose from the organization side of things, and I think I can kind of get a sense for the answer to this question, because I know your your title torn is head of talent, learning and inclusion. So I can see there's a, a good kind of depth to, to inclusion there. But what or how has inclusion I suppose, aligned to business goals? What, how has some of the stuff that Deloitte has done uh, matched the, the goals of the organisation? Yeah, so I suppose, I mean, one of our key goals is to be the leading professional services firm in the market for both clients and for people. Um, so for us, in terms of if we want to be able to deliver the best solutions for our clients and to solve complex problems, we really need that diversity of thought that comes from having people from different life experiences, different backgrounds, different cultures, bringing all of that thought together. So we need to be able to attract those people. So therefore, it's really important to us that people in the market see Deloitte as a culture that's inclusive where somewhere where they could start their career that they would aspire to joining us but then could grow and develop as they stayed with us and then it's really important that we retain people so we have to match internally that perception in the market that we're inclusive people have to feel that they're living that at Deloitte and they really can be their true selves so that's why it's it's critically important to us that all the work um, we're putting into inclusion really is felt by people and they feel whether it's a conversation about their performance, whether it's a career discussion, whether it's a learning program they'd like to attend, that regardless of who they are and where they come from, that they have an equal opportunity to have all of those things as anybody else in the firm. Um, Really important to us in terms of actually being able to deliver on our goals. Definitely. I think, and I suppose this question, I'll, I'll come to both of you for this one, but I come to yourself first, Mary. I know like we can see from companies like Deloitte, there's been huge progress in this area, the area of inclusion over the past few years, real, real positive surge of activity, which is great to see. But I think generally there probably is more to be done. And I think that's, it's, it's obvious we say this with a lot of things, but there is obviously more to be done, despite all the, the huge progress already, Mary, isn't there? 
absolutely, because people still feel excluded in many organisations in Ireland today and, and globally. It's not a, an Irish phenomenon. It's, it's a, a global phenomenon, you know, and in different countries, different areas, different cultures um, have different issues that, uh, and different concerns around all of this. But yes, I, I believe many organisations have a lot of work to do in this area. Um, the know-how is always the challenge and it's always the challenge in HR you know how do you go about doing this if you don't have a big budget if you um, you know maybe are in a standalone HR role how do you ensure that um, your organization is inclusive and you know diverse and inclusive um, and they're two different things so you you may have people of different races, religions, nationalities, um, sexual orientation, family status. You may have all of those people within your organization, but do they feel included? So it, there are two separate things to consider. And then it's about equity. You know, do they have pathways forward? Um, are people given opportunities for learning, development, promotion, uh, progression within their careers? And for organizations and HR people, it's, well, how do I do this? What steps should I take? And often out there, and it's always been a challenge, I think, you know, I've been in HR for, I, 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 gosh, I'm not even going to say it so long. Um, but, you know, it's I've always struggled with where will I get the information? How will I go about doing this? Um, and it's one of the reasons that, you know, we've launched this podcast is to hear stories from people and professionals around HR that can give us a bit of a steer on what might you do or give you a few ideas on what organizations like Deloitte are out there doing and maybe you can pick up a few tips on well okay that sounds great I like the idea of that let me see if I could put together a program or review our policies and, and do some of the things that Deloitte have done and, and make the work that we're doing more meaningful. And I think that's so important. I, mean, I think I suppose similar question to yourself, Torn. I suppose when you're in a company like Deloitte that is kind of one of the leaders in inclusion, setting great policies, setting a great example, there must be an element of realising that it does have an effect outside of the organisation as well. There's other companies looking at the competition or even just as a as a as a beacon of whatever of progress um there must be that kind of sense with Deloitte as well that obviously what you're doing does have an effect externally as well I suppose absolutely and we work a lot with external parties so like even just thinking of gender balance that's an area where we still we're still striving we still have targets for our partner levels to increase the proportion of female partners um, and we would work then closely with the 30 percent club and they've launched a new pledge around um, gender balance particularly for professional services that we've signed up to and for us one of the key drivers around um bringing out our gender pay gap report ahead of the legislation and including our partner figures in it, which, you know, our competition haven't done, was really to drive that conversation and use, I suppose, our brand to really drive that conversation 
more broadly within the business community around the importance of gender balance and you know what can we do as as um, business organizations to really put this on the agenda and keep making progress towards more females at senior levels and organizations a lot of progress has been made in the last few years but there's still definitely more that needs to be done um, so we're constantly trying to see well how can we sort of amplify what we're doing internally externally to sort of drive society forwards in a way in terms of inclusion um, and I, I suppose in terms of sort of more to do there's still I think a lot more to do in the area of disability and neurodiversity mental health is becoming a bigger and bigger issue as well how do we reduce the stigma that people feel around talking around mental health how do we make that more open so that people feel if they are going through a difficult period they can have a conversation they can take some time out and then they can come back and they can you know get up to speed much faster rather than really struggling through all the time in secret and then crashing out of the workforce um, because they've never been able to open up and have that conversation. Um, so while we've made a lot of progress in some areas, there's still constantly more to do, which is what makes it such an interesting area to work in. It's interesting as well, um, Torin, I, I, and Owen, I don't know if you picked up Sasha Decker's um, article in the Irish Times, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, where she talks about um, you know, the use of language describing uh, disability. Um, and, you know, I think it's just so important that we're hearing the voice of people who identify in a certain way. And, and Sasha Decker's article is really worth um, picking up and, and reading if you're in the HR profession, because she highlights um issues around wording and uh, wording imposed and language imposed by people who didn't have a disability on her as somebody who does have a disability um, and it, it, it's really worth picking up and listening to um, but it feeds back into that whole idea of the employee networks and you know being careful in HR that we're not putting language around people that we're listening to what people actually have to say about how they identify uh, in whatever group that they're in um, and that HR aren't politicizing it or you know coming up with words that are, are nice uh, to make us feel comfortable versus uh, thinking about the needs of the individuals um, within our organization so I really recommend uh, reading that Irish times piece it was you know eye-opening and and you know from a HR perspective made me sit back and think oh you know this this is different um and I admire Sasha Decker and in, in from HubSpot and in what she had to say yeah language is so important I think you know it can really have an impact on somebody if you get it wrong and equally if you get it right 
um, and people often don't think through the consequences and they go, well, it's just a word or, you know, I didn't mean anything by it. Um, but it's actually, you know, it's so important in terms of how people feel and really we're constantly learning more in terms of identity and language and how do we get it right. Um, so, yeah, I think it, that's something if organisations could really pay attention to that, it would go a long way. Yeah, there's so much to learn, I think. Obviously, it's clear from talking to you, Torn, that it's it's obviously a, it's a journey for companies as well. There's not a couple of things you do and then job done. Not by no, it's forever. Co- it's for life. Exactly. That's it. So I suppose it's kind of a tough one to ask, but it's, it's a question we always ask at the end of the podcast. Is there certain things that our listeners, HR teams, leaders can do? Maybe just a couple of things to get started, a couple of non-negotiables where you would say that will set you off on your journey to to hopefully getting getting inclusion somewhat right in your organization. Yeah, two things. So I suppose one thing I mentioned earlier was about asking people, you know, what matters to them. So whether, you know, you do that through a survey or whether you do it through a poll on a a call, there's different ways of gathering that information or you do focus groups. um, But it's really trying to understand what are the, the key pain points that people might have in terms of inclusion And then starting there, you know, what's going to have the biggest impact on the most people, for example, um, is one way of starting it. And the other is measure, like what metrics do you have? Um, Because that way you can hold yourselves to account. So, you know, if you track gender, for example, if you capture data around gender, can you look at how are are you recruiting in proportionate numbers? Are you progressing people in those um, similar numbers? Are your leaders gender balanced? Um, So that's one thing you can measure. It's hard. Age is another one that a lot of organizations might have data around age. Um, and then it's it's trying to potentially setting targets. So we have set targets for gender balance at our um, partner level, because then you can really hold yourselves to account. Um, so that for me would be the, the two key things organizations can start doing, ask their people and then start measuring their progress. It's quite similar to what we always say, Mary, kind of similar question to yourself, what can HR teams and leaders do? But I think it is, a lot of it is around that kind of listening, measurement, and really kind of that, I suppose, the, the intentionality that you said earlier is on, Mary, isn't it? Yeah, learning too. You know, it's we don't have all the answers in HR. And sometimes it's a bit of a difficult position because, you know, the organization looks to us, the leadership looks to us, the uh, employee body looks to us. And they, it, to understand something, you've got to learn um, and listen. So y- you can never do enough within an organization around listening, talking to people, understanding their pain points. So I completely agree with you turn from that point of view and then it's about looking at the barriers you know what are they what prevents um there being gender balance at a senior level in an organization you know there's no difference between male and females in terms of ability or capability or responsibility or accountability or any of those things and we've said this before on this podcast so you know what what's what's the barrier what's the what's stopping 
progression. It's not all about family either. That's a bit of a myth, um, you know, that, that women count themselves out. You know, throughout my entire career, I have worked um, all my career. I've worked. I know many, many people who've worked all of their career and still the opportunities haven't been there. Um, and that's just when we look at gender, but again, you can look at age and, you know, how many uh, older people continue within organisations, what barriers are there, uh, disability, uh, race, religion. There's just so many things that you can look at. Now, you can't do everything. Um, so you've got to think about the things that you can achieve within the organization and ensure that you know whatever it is you're doing that it resonates that the employee body are actually engaged with it that you're not actually contradicting yourself um by saying we're one thing and you know having our values you know plastered around the organization but them actually being meaningless when it comes to how people feel so it's so important that it matters, that, that it works, that you're listening, that you're changing when it doesn't work, um, and that you're hearing multiple voices who feel that it's harder for them to progress within an organization um, and, and look at your policies and procedures. <laughs> Get those right, starting point. That's it. And so much to do. And I think, as I said, it is a, a huge, huge journey that, that never ends. But it is great to see that kind of inspiration from obviously what Deloitte are doing and that guidance from yourself as well, Mary. So a huge thank you to both of you for a very insightful and practical discussion. And I hope everyone kind of took notes to see how they can really begin to effectively work on their inclusion agenda within their organizations. Um, thank you, obviously, to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So do make sure to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Make sure to check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Torn, and thank you, Mary. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.